Hi there. I just want to thank you so much for your positive response and feedback to this podcast. It's really an honor to be able to share these Kabbalah teachings with you. And um, I really appreciate those who have reached out to me. You can always reach out to me. I'm rabbi at jewishndg.com. I also wanted to let you know that what I did for you is I just started uh, this new website called theloverabbi.com. And if you go to shop, I put up all of the new Kabbalah courses that I'm giving. And you can literally just purchase those courses right there. There's a special introductory rate for you. I have... Um, Kabbalah mindfulness, turning door walls into doorways, the Kabbalah of dreams. I have concepts in Kabbalah, Kabbalah for everyone, the power of forgiveness, what are my values, and a bunch of courses there that you can just download. You can be able to watch them and um, get the resources there on your own time, at your own time. And of course, I'm always available to answer your questions. So it's really a win-win uh, for everyone. And I really encourage you to go there and to take a look at it. It's theloverabbi.com, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com. And just go to shop and you'll see all the really great stuff there. You'll also see all the other great stuff on the website. And uh, in any case, thank you so much again and looking forward to seeing you soon. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle and tickets are just $50 and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Unfortunately, Fred's grandmother passed away and uh, he's unable to make it tonight. So I hope it's okay with you that we're going to have a fifth class or a fourth class that's going to be at a fifth week, so we can do uh, class four next week. Um, but I thought it would be a nice opportunity, A, for us to be able to do a special class tonight in memory of Fred's grandmother, uh, and also to be able to focus a little more on the Kabbalah of all of this, which um, I know that there's some concepts some Kabbalistic concepts that perhaps you've wanted to explore and that we can do a little more tonight. So my question for you is, do you have a specific concept that we have discussed uh, that you would like to explore tonight in, in greater, in greater uh, detail? Yes, please, Cheryl. Um, last week, I had asked the question of um you know you're talking about the clipot yes and i asked the question of this uh you know the the, the skin this wrapping this you know that it, it keeps things in and it keeps things out and right. i thought i i worded it you know how i usually word things but i worded it as is this like a trick that god like god has said and I don't really mean trick, of course, but, you know, that God has set it up this way. So actually we can see that we have free will because the effort in having to get rid of that, when we go through that, it's like a trauma to go through that and to expose these things. The process is, is traumatic yes. in itself. And it usually reveals 
some trauma that gets us to a much better place. Like in the end, we we it's it's in working through this trauma. And so I I'd love for you to talk more about the clipot in this context. I've heard you a few different, you know, in, in different I'm trying to bring it together and it's just I feel like it's escaping me, the, okay. the, the, the concept of um, because when you talk about bias, there's there's some bias. It's it's not our biases. It's it's either other people's or the communities or something. But sometimes, you know, when, when you talk when you use the word bias, I also think about um, you know, when we're judgmental. Mm-hmm. Anytime we're judgmental, we have because we've already established a bias, whether it's again based on community, but usually it's ourself, you know, ourself. Oh, that's terrible grammar, Smacky. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's we have put it on ourselves. This, right. and there's a difference between judgment, bias, and and it's not so clear. So if you could get into that in terms of the okay. how Kabbalah looks at that, I could. We definitely can explore that tonight. Uh, that's great. Any anything else? Anyone else have something, a concept, or anything else that kind of is sticking out for them in this course that they want to explore? So we have Klipa, we have those biases. We're, we're going to go do uh, an in-depth uh, uh, on Klipa, which is really important, especially understanding uh, some of Frankel's works that would help us a lot. Yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi Burnett. So I just yes. I just bought two um, two books by by Dan, uh, what's his name Dan, Daniel Matt. Okay. So one's God in the Big Bang, mm-hmm. and the other one's the Essential Kabbalah. Yes. Like, um, is, is do you do you know this guy? Is he like legit? I don't know what you. I don't know what the definition of legit is. Well, is he? You know, because he, he, you know, he, he makes a lot of, uh, you know, allusions and references to, you know, Kabbalah, Kabbalistic concepts. He goes to the commentaries. So he seems very learned, you know, in it, and it reads very nicely what he, what he writes, um, you know, but I'm just wondering, is he, is he, you know, a, a lot contemporary of, authority on, on the subject? A lot of the academic works on Kabbalah, starting with Buber. Um, is it's kind of like an outsider looking in, peeking in through a window. So you get, you know, Cheryl was talking about biases. You're going to get his biases on an academic level because Kabbalah cannot be properly understood on on an academic level. It needs to be, there's a different framework for the study of Kabbalah. So what happens with a lot of these books, though, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the ideas that he talks about, I, I know I've read it. I've read some of his work. A lot of the ideas he talks about are correct, but it's just the vision and the structure through which he does it, which allows, um, it's easy. Like you said, it's easy to read because it builds up on our collective memory. It's, it's something that makes sense to us because we live in an academic world. Though Kabbalah properly learned cannot be learned through that lens. It needs to be learned through its own lens and it lives in its own field of study. So um, to that level, I would take whatever he says with a grain of salt. All right, thanks. 
tried to say that politically correct. No, no, no. It's cool. No, I, I, I appreciate that because I mean, it, it reads very nicely, yes. right? And 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 it's like, oh, this is you know, oh, this is great, right? And it's yeah. you know, it's a subject I know absolutely nothing about. So I'm like, oh, if this is what it is, oh, this is great, right? Yeah. As you as you dive into it a little more, uh, you're going to see that it's it's a different world and it's a different way of thinking, and that's the idea of it. It, it it's supposed to allow you to adopt a very different perspective on the world and a different perspective on the same things, on those things that are so obvious to you. Okay. Anything else that we want to talk about tonight? I'd uh, put in the chat box also, hi, Rob, bye, and hi, everyone. Um, I'd put perhaps uh, just dar- the, the idea of darkness and light. Um, in the article you'd sent to us, there was that um, slip from Solomon of uh, um, the apartment of Dinah being black but uh, beautiful. Yes, black um, and beautiful, yes. So I'm curious, sort of, a, either as we tend to think of them as juxtapositions, but if you could talk about darkness, light, uh, something. Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, that's really good. So darkness and light. In a Kabbalistic perspective. Anything else? Sean, you must have some kind of concept you want to go through tonight. Sorry, I, I was a little bit late. I was I was with my dad. Um, just, um to worry about. Is it okay if I bring up a question a little bit into the session? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so let's get started. I want to really tackle Cheryl's question because that's going to take me a few minutes to properly tackle. Um, and then I'm going to go into a little bit of Mark, and then I'm going to go into maybe a couple other ideas just to kind of dabble in. So we'll do a deep dive into Kalipot tonight. We'll talk a little about darkness and light because that's, uh, you know, uh, based on what Mark wants. And then I'm going to dabble into a couple other Kabbalistic ideas, some that you probably know, some that you may not know. But I find that sometimes when you hear it again, especially in this context, it may click. Like last week, Cheryl had a click. And, I, I, and that's why I want to continue this conversation because it was just a real like, wow. And even for me, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back. I'm going to start from the beginning last week. I want to really get into um, the Klippot and Sitra Achra, what they are, how it works. So I'm going to go back to the orange, if that's okay with you. So I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I said last week, but only for the purpose of trying to help Cheryl and all of us get into this deep dive of what Kalipa is. So one of the greatest questions that has been asked in our world, and it seems to be asked in every generation, why evil? How can there be evil in our world? How, how can a good God create evil? How can there be injustice? How can it be that the wicked have the upper hand? And this has been tackled by philosophers of all types. And we, we, Kabbalah starts off, remember, Kabbalah does not work from the bottom up. Kabbalah works from the top down. And that's really important to understand when approaching this topic. Because if I approach it from the eyes of 
the concentration camp survivor, the Holocaust survivor. There's nowhere to go from that. A survivor, uh, you know, the Rebbe went through the Holocaust. And once uh, a survivor came to the Rebbe and said, explain, how can you, Rabbi, believe in God after the Holocaust? And the Rebbe looked at him. Now, you have to understand, this was a conversation from survivor to survivor. This is not a conversation between you and I. It's a conversation from survivor to survivor. And the Rebbe said to him, if anyone gives you an answer to this question, they're wrong. Because any answer to this question is going to justify the acts of cruel people. And so you and I, he said, we are going to question this our entire lives. We will continue to question it. But while we're in this world, we'll never have an answer. Remember, survivor to survivor. And that survivor said that was the greatest answer he ever heard. You know who that survivor was? Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel later said that that was the greatest answer he ever heard on the Holocaust. So if you start from the bottom up, if you start saying, how can God have created a Holocaust? There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. The answer is, there's no answer to that question. So the only way we can even start to discuss evil in this world is we have to work from the top down. We have to work with it from the top down. We have to work from God's world and then start slowly moving our way into our world. So the concepts and the ideas that we're going to discuss in this deep dive is going, are going, some of them are going to be foreign to us because it's hard for us to even think in these kinds of terminologies in these ways, because it's not, it's not part of our collective memory. So let's get started. Now that I gave you my disclaimer, God is good. We have to start with the presumption that God is good. If God is evil, then evil obviously exists. There's not even a question. So the fact that we're questioning evil from God's perspective must mean that God is good. You follow how that works? Right? If God was evil, there'd be no question here. If the fact that God is good, now we're saying, now God, in your world, how does evil work? Now, next, God is also of action, not just good in essence, but of action. So it's God's nature to do goodness. And God created the world, this world that we live in, in order to bestow goodness upon us, to be good to us. That's the entire purpose for which God created this world to be good to us. I know Cheryl had another, I know, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to get to it. I, I, give me a moment. Do you want to say it? Okay. That, so therefore, if he, if his, if he's good and the nature is to do goodness and he created this earth for us to do goodness, if there wasn't evil on it, we would never be 
in God's image to do goodness Thank by you. choice. Thank you. Okay, you could go home now. Thank you. you Thank you. It. I was holding that for a whole week. You got it? I think so. You tell me. I don't know. Yes, that's exactly it. Do you understand what Cheryl just said? God had the angels before he created this world. The angels were only good. There was, there was nothing else. That was it. God didn't like that. Imagine if, 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 for those of us that have children, if our children were only good and they just were robots. Nobody wants robots of children. There needs to be free choice. And in that free choice. So the question of evil needs to have a counterpart. Otherwise, it wouldn't even be a question. Now, the greatest possible goodness that God can bestow upon his creations is the goodness that is himself, that is God. That's the greatest possible goodness that God is able to bestow upon us. Now, in order to earn that reward, so to speak, we're just using anthropomorphic terms to understand this. So in order to earn that reward so that it should not want to be what the Zohar calls bread of shame, we want to earn the reward, which means we want to live in a world where we give God goodness. So in order that it's an earned reward and not an unearned reward, God first placed us in the arena of free choice, where we have to make an effort to choose good over evil. And it's not easy, because if it was easy, it would also defeat the purpose. It can't be easy. Now, according to Kabbalah, such choice of choosing good over evil is rewarded in the next world. Kabbalah does not see a difference between this world and the next world, and the world to come. We can talk about the world to come uh, uh, um, another time. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the afterlife, not today. But I have done that in the past, and I'm happy to send you that, that class. So it's important to know that, God does, that in God's world, there's no difference between this world and the next world, which means they're all one. So things that we do in this world as part of this world also have to do with the next world. Not that we do them in order to find a good seed in heaven, that's not the point. We do them to make this world a better place. But this world is somewhat connected with the next world. Where is heaven? Point. Points for me. Where is heaven? I get a point up. Somebody says pointing within. I get an up and up. I guarantee you, you can take a rocket. Elon Musk is going to make rockets that anybody can take. You can go as high up as you want. You'll never find heaven. Heaven is right here. It's just a different dimension of this world. It's a dimension of this world that's not confined to time and space. That's what heaven is. Just think about it a second. This world not confined to time and space. Imagine that you lived without time and space. Imagine that. Well, you can't imagine that because everything you know is governed by time and space. 
If you have a bad thought, what do you do? Just remove the thought, right? Change the thought, get another thought. I'm gonna give you a little morbid. This is a disclaimer. The thing I'm just gonna say is a little bit morbid. Kabbalah does not believe in hell. There's no eternal damnation in Kabbalah. If you want eternal damnation, you gotta go down the block. There's other religions that believe in that, not us. What we believe that hell is, it's a refinement process that happens right after death that does not last for longer than 12 months. We don't know so much about that refinement, which means the soul is going through a washing machine. And some of the things that it did in this world, it has to, uh, be, has to rectify itself. So we don't know so much, but we know a number of things. One of the things that we know is that imagine if your whole life flashed before your eyes, or which means the good stuff that you did in your life and the bad stuff that you did in your life, and you had to watch it all, but you could not stop it. You had to relive all those terrible moments in your life, and you could not change the channel. Imagine that for a moment. So that's called Chibura Keber. That's one of the, one of the uh, things that we know about as part of the refinement process the soul has to go through, has to relive various episodes in its life, and it can't change the channel. And it's so painful. One of the things that we do in the Jewish tradition is we say Kaddish, for a soul after it departed. And the Kaddish is something that we can do in this world to help ease the pain of purgatory, of this cleansing process that happens in the next world. We say it for 11 months. Why do we say it for 11 months and not 12 months? Because we say no one is that bad that they need 12 months of refinement. Somebody said, somebody came to me this week who lost a relative, and she said to me, my relative was that bad. Can I say Kaddish for 12 months? But in, as a generalization, no one is that bad. And that's why the Kaddish is 11 months. Anyway, that was a little, a little glimpse into the afterlife. It's a whole different discussion. So, In order, in the world to come, the soul is divest of all physicality, of time and space. And it's totally become spiritual. It basks in the light of spirituality. And, and after honestly earning the rewards for its free choice in this world, it is able to bask in the light, which means every time we make the right choice. As a result, our world to come is affected. One moment, says Kabbalah, of choice, of proper choice in this world equals a thousand years of proper choice in the world to come. Which is why it is a core Jewish belief to value life. We don't value quality of life. We just value life. Because we don't know why 
a particular person has to go through a particular type of suffering in this world. Their soul, because this world and the next world are one, a soul going through suffering in this world, as difficult as that may be in this world, equals a thousand, that moment of suffering equals a thousand years in the world to come. And that refinement that the soul has to come into this world to do is valuable. So we put such an emphasis on life itself, while the medical world and the world at large puts an emphasis on quality of life. We don't see it as quality of life. We see all life as equal. And that's why you'll find within Jewish values, we do things, for example, we don't, we don't follow euthanasia because we believe in the value of life that all life is equal. I'm going into a lot of different tangents here. Now, the creation of evil is a necessity in order to maintain the arena of free choice. In order for free choice to exist, evil must exist. Otherwise, it's a big joke. So what do you want? You want good or you want gooder? You want best or you want the best? I mean, it, it's just going to, it's just, it's just blah. The whole thing becomes blah. If there's no free, if there's no evil, then everything is good and then good doesn't exist either. Good can only exist because evil exists. Good can only exist because there's evil. So we have to say that our personal mission is to steer through the pitfalls and the temptations of this world and to do good. Now, what is the definition of good? Maybe we'll get there soon. Because it it can't be a... Uh, You know, like we talked about the difference between meaning and purpose. It can't be, oh, I'm going to find my own definition for good because then it's subjective. We want an objective version of what good is. We can't have a subjective good because essentially you can justify anything in the name of anything. So... Steer your way, Lenny Cohen. You can justify anything in the name of anything. So we don't want subjective goodness. That's not going to help anyone. We want objective goodness. So, Kabbalah emphasizes that the view, the ultimate purpose of creation is dira betachtonim going back to class one, to create a dwelling place in this world for God. How do we create a dwelling place in this world for God? If you want to make a home for yourself, we know we need bricks and mortar and uh, whatever else is necessary to make a home, electricity, plumbing. How do we make a home for God? Again, let's work our way down. From God, working our way down. God made a physical creation. In this physical creation, it conceals the godliness. It conceals the divine source. 
God places a soul within a body to refine and to elevate the body and that soul's portion in this world. Now, although the soul is going to be rewarded for its efforts in the world to come, the ultimate purpose of creation is in this world. The greatest achievement of the soul is to take this physical world and this crass body, where the crass body's inherent nature is physical, it is animalistic, and to transform darkness into light. Now let's talk about darkness a second. Darkness, we've already established two classes ago that it's not a creation on its own. It's just the absence of light. Darkness doesn't really exist. The moment you turn on the light, it's as if it never happened. If somebody came in and never knew what darkness was, you couldn't even describe it to them. Well, what do you think evil is? Is it a creation on its own or is it the absence of goodness? It's our own spiritual black hole. You guys following me? What do you think? That Give is so thought. brilliant. So, so evil isn't even necessarily bad. It's just the absence of goodness. That's right. Which in, isn't inherently bad, except for whatever situa- situation. You're brilliant. The, the Kabbalah calls the evil inclination the old wise fool that the the evil inclination does not want to do its job, but it doesn't have a choice. The evil inclination wasn't given free choice. It has to do what God created it to do, but it doesn't want to do it. If it had free choice, it wouldn't do it. Is that why humans have higher standing than even angels? Absolutely. Because angels are created to do one particular thing and they have no choice. They're they're one-dimensional. We're three-dimensional. So do, do we have anything in, in, in Kabbalah that do angels fall out of, of good, like fallen angels, like yeah. some other religions that I won't say too loud because he's next to me would have? Yes, there are, there are, they're called Nephilim, fallen angels. Yes, we have it. You can look them up, Nephilim. Nephilim, okay. Well, I, I, we, can do, we can do an entire class just on them. Okay, no, no, I just, because I'm, I'm getting, I, I, always, I knew when we started this that the, the dark part of ourselves is not necessarily bad. It's because it doesn't have light. It, there may be painful things in there, and there may be fabulous things in there. But now you pull, you're pulling it all together by explaining it that way. It's just the absence of light or the absence of good. It's not, that is, thanks, it, it's a whole different way of. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling down and you go out and you do something for someone, what happens? It, it brings you up. 
But if you do it's it for like somebody down else, never happens. You for that okay. moment, you forget that down even happened. That's right. It's just the absence of goodness. That's it. You know, nothing against Freud, but we can talk about our inner child from today till tomorrow. We can go through all of our past, and, and I'm not saying that we don't have stories and narratives and things that need to be dealt with, and I'm not saying therapy doesn't help. But if therapy and discussing our past stays in the past, we miss the entire point of therapy. The point is to be able to create a better version of ourselves today and be able to forge ahead as a different person. One of the things that many therapists, I believe, spend too much time on is darkness, is the shadow. The shadow doesn't exist. It does exist. And I've debated therapists over the years about this. It does exist, but it only exists until it comes out of the shadow. Now, I'm going to go a step further. The shadow exists because the light created it. So the shadow is only existing, sorry Jung, the shadow is only existing because the light is there. If there was no light, there'd be no shadow. So when focusing on the shadow, you have two choices. You can focus on the shadow or focus on the light. It's not going to take anything away from the shadow. But there is a choice. Focus on the shadow or focus on the light. And I think the shadow only becomes brighter and stronger because the light is brighter and stronger. More sun, more shadow. So you'll bring the shadow out in a good way by focusing on the light. I hope you understood my metaphor there. So going back to the soul, the greatest achievement of our souls is to take this physical world, which this physical world is inherently animalistic. It's inherently not holy and transform darkness, which doesn't really exist, into light. The soul itself is pristine. The soul itself is light. If somebody had to create a metaphor for the soul, right away they'd say light. The soul itself is light. It doesn't require any rectification. The first time we learned about this, was from Jacob's Ladder, the narrative of Jacob's Ladder, of the angels going up and down the ladder. The soul's descent into this world is for the purpose of ascent. The purpose, and, and, and you have to see that in our lives, going back to our lives, metaphor, if we have a descent in our life, if we're feeling down, it's, we have to say, dear inside of me, whatever you want to call yourself, 
the reason why I'm feeling down is for ascent. The purpose of my descent is for an ascent. My purpose for being down is to go up. That's why I'm here. I have to bend my knees to jump. So right now, I know it feels hard because I'm bending my knees right now, but I'm going to jump. And that's the purpose for which I'm bending my knees. And whatever ascent that we achieve in this world cannot possibly compare to anything we achieve in the world to come. Because in the world to come, there's no choice. The soul, without being in this world, doesn't have free choice. So, despite being in the lowest of all the worlds, there's four worlds. According to Kabbalah, we are in the lowest of those worlds. We can overcome our animal drives and passions, and we're able to achieve God's purpose in creation. The soul, therefore, strives to perform true service of God. And what it does by performing true service is it fulfills the will of God. And what was the, what was the desire of God to create a dira betachtonim, to create an abode for the divine in this world? Like Mark had mentioned, I quoted King Solomon in Song of Songs that black is beautiful. What does that mean? Black is beautiful. That the souls descends into bleakness. It descends into the confusion of this world. And it realizes that its descent is for the purpose of ascent. It looks at the black and it says, thank you. I need you. Without you, I can't achieve my purpose. Without you, I can't become greater. You are here for me. Black is beautiful. I need you. But you also don't exist. You're just here as part of my stepping stone, as part of my prop, uh, uh, purpose, as part of my creating a better version of myself so I can be able to tackle my life's issues in a better way than I was able to before. The descent into the body is dark. There's a great debate. King David says, against your will, you were created. Kabbalah believes that you actually, your soul comes into this world, and not only does it want to come into this world, it sees what it can accomplish here, and it chooses the parents to which it comes to, and the family to which it comes to. Because it sees that it has the ability to accomplish best with, this, with these parents and this family. So before we were born, when we were pure, when we didn't have all of the nonsense that happens in our lifetime, we felt that the best place for us to be is here right now. 
But unfortunately, what happens? We come into this world and we get sucked into the vortex of this world. So, and we, get, we, we become so much part of the world. The analogy that Kabbalah gives is the analogy of a, a bishop, a landowner. In the old days, there were people who were, uh, they owned a certain amount of land they were given to by, uh, by the king. They were, in Yiddish, they were called the parrots. I don't know what they're called in, in English. The parrots, that's how I always uh, knew it growing up. There were so many stories about the parrots. And, and so the, this, this, uh, this man appointed by the king owns all the land. And many of the Jewish people in his land rent their, their land from him. They build houses, they build inns, they do whatever they're doing. They build stores. And they're renting from this man. Well, there was many stories about these particular individuals and what they would do if somebody couldn't pay the rent. This particular man was, was interestingly evil in his own way. He had a, a beautiful garden, magnificent garden. In the middle of the garden, he had a rock. And under the rock, there was a, a grotto. There was a, a, a pit, a cave. If a Jew and his family couldn't pay the rent, he would throw them into the cave. But he was nice. If they could manage to survive, every single morning at nine o'clock in the morning, he would lower food into the pit, into the, into the cave, so the family could live. Well, families were thrown into the pit, one after another, 10, 15, 20 families are there in the, in the, in the grotto, in the cave. They have children there. The first generation dies out. And now the, you're talking about a generation. The next generation were born and raised in the cave. Now they heard the stories from their parents of how beautiful the world is outside. And really you are in a cave in the garden of the parrots. But they really, I mean, it, it became a story. They, they couldn't even relate to it. They didn't even know what color looked like. They knew that everything was dark and at nine o'clock every morning, there was a little bit of light while the food magically lowered down. And that was their life. Well, the grandkids, it became legends. And the great grandkids, it became real legends. And to the point where people stopped even believing that there was a world out there. I mean, yeah, my great grandfather once told me that there was a world outside the cave and it would describe the luscious green pastures and the animals and the fields. But I don't, I mean, you don't really believe that, do you? You don't believe this. I mean, this is the whole world. This is it. Many generations go by and one day the rock opens and a man is thrown down. Where did you come from? This is the, an alien came from outer space. Where did you come from? It's like, where did I come from? I came from up there. What's up there? Huh? Luscious green pastures, a beautiful world. I mean, you guys are in a grotto in the middle of the Paritzis garden. You're in a little tiny thing. You think this is the whole world, you fools. This is the analogy that the, the Kabbalists give to our soul coming into this world. Our soul comes into the darkness 
and it does the best it can, but soon it becomes so used to the darkness and it says, this is all that there is. There's nothing up there. The grotto is all there is. That's it. And, and, it tell, and, and to the point where our soul is even able to convince itself that there's nothing up there. There's no God. There's nothing else. This is just it. Do the best you can. The world is crazy. It's extreme. It's insane. Let's just do the best we can with what we have. But this is just the cave. It's a dark cave. Yeah, God provides for us. And the food is lowered every morning at nine o'clock. And maybe there's a little light then. But we can't get sucked into the vortex of this world because we're missing out some of the most beautiful elements of what the world really is. That's what it means that black is beautiful. This world is dark. But in terms of fulfillment of the purpose of creation, it's not dark at all because darkness doesn't exist. And from this perspective, it follows that the presence of the forces of evil pose the greatest challenge to our quest to make this world a better place. To create a dira betachtonim. The greater the darkness, the stronger the forces of evil, the brighter is the transformation of the darkness into brilliance. The greater the darkness, the greater the brilliance. From the lower we come, the higher we can rise. And that is why the righteous person, the tzaddik, is jealous of us. Because a righteous person can only plateau. The righteous But from the lower you come, the higher you can rise. We are able to, our ability through our acts are able to rise higher than the righteous. And they're jealous of us, says Kabbalah, because of the ability that we have to make good choices and to rise higher. Now let's go into Klippa. Let's go back to our orange. Klippa, peel, shell. We spoke last week that the, remember, the orange will retain its fruit, its juice. But it needs to have that protective jacket. It needs to have the peel. Without the peel, there'd be no juice in the orange. It would dry out immediately. But when you eat it, you discard the peel. And the peel is only there to preserve the fruit. Evil doesn't exist. It's just there to preserve goodness. It's crazy. It's insane. Because there's so much evil in the world. Yes. Could you imagine someone who never opened the fruit? Imagine. I'm I'm assuming it took a while until people figured out that coconuts can be opened. They couldn't have figured it out right away. It's hard to open a coconut. What did they use? But eventually they figured out that something has such a hard shell must have something so amazing. And what do we know today about coconut? It's one of the most amazing sources of nutrients. Much more than an orange. 
Of course it is, because the show is harder. Our nutritionist here may have, will have to tell me if that uh, analogy works all the way around. The harder the shell, the more nutrients there are. I don't know. I have to, we'll have to fact check that one. So Kabbalah uses this terminology called inner will. Pnimiyot haratzon. And it uses a terminology called external will. Chitsoniyot haratzon. When a person goes out to work, when a person gets involved in the details of this world, when the person gets involved in the nitty-gritty of, 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 of being in this world, this is only the peel. This is only the shell. This is only the external will. External will equals shell. Inner will equals the fruit inside. So... <clears throat> Let's say you, you're working. Why are you working? So you can make money. So let's say for you, the inner desire is to make money, but it's not really the inner desire because that's still external will because your inner desire is to make money to do what you really want. So the existence of Klippa stems from the outer will of God. Whereas holiness stems from the inner will of God. Kabbalah divides everything in this world into the side of holiness or the side of klippa. The, the holy side is the indwelling. It's the extension of the holiness of God that rests only on something that abnegates itself completely to him. One of the most important qualities that we need to learn to have in this world is humility. Humility is important because without humility, we won't be able to connect with God's inner will because inner will can only be connected to if we abnegate. So in the case of angels, it's very easy. They have no free choice. Self-sacrifice, abnegation, humility. It's no problem. Whatever you want, God. Holy, holy, holy. One of the greatest stories that are told in the Talmud is the story of Moses getting the Torah on Sinai. It's the Talmud, Tractate Shabbat. I think it's page four. 60-something. The story goes that Moses goes up to heaven, walks up Sinai. As the story goes, he goes up to heaven. The angels see a human being in heaven. What's going on here? What is the human doing in our world? The story comes out that he's here to get the Torah. Wait a second, say the angels. The Torah belongs to us. You know why? Because we're closer to God. A debate ensues. To the point where there's a court. A court case between Moses and the angels. The angels believe that they 
deserve the Torah more than the, the, the Jewish people because they are going to do better with the Torah. The Jews, they're, they're, they're earthlings. They're, they're, they're full of all different types of good and evil. They may not even study it. And most importantly, if God gives the Torah down below, the angels will have to wait for the people to study and for the people to pray before they can study and pray because the source of the Torah will be here. And they didn't want that. So they start off the court case by saying, quoting a verse from Leviticus that says it's, it's called Din Debar Metzra. Somebody has a field. Before they sell the field, they have to um, offer it to their neighbor, the first right of refusal, because the neighbor can do the best, you know, they can expand their own field and they have best use of it. So the angels say, God, before you offer it to the Jews who are lower than us, you need to offer it to us first because we can make best use of it. We need first right of refusal. Anyway, I won't bore you with all the legalities, but they go back and forth and back and forth for a while. The Talmud goes through the entire debate, a real legal debate. At the end, God says, Moses, they're right. It's up to you. You do. And the Talmud describes the scene. I think it's just such an amazing scene. An emotional, just a majestic scene. Where Moses takes the Torah and holds it in his embrace. And he opens it up. And he says, Do not kill. My dear angels, when was the last time you killed? Do not steal. Do you ever have a desire to steal? Honor your father and mother. How many fathers and mothers do you have? Thank you, Jason. Shabbat 88b. How many fathers and mothers do you have? And he goes through each and every of the commandments and he says, this book is not for you. And the angels concede and they say Moses we are going to usher this this needs to go down with you and they say they took they take two crowns one crown for we will do and the other crown for we will listen one for Naseh one for Nishma and they give it to Moses The Torah belonged, and even the angels understood this, in a place where there were free choice. In an angelic world, whatever God says they're going to do, that's not interesting. That's not exciting. That's not dramatic. That's not special. What ends up happening is, and you can go into my essay from last week and you'll see that where I, I talk, I, I quote Ezekiel and I talk about, you know, various elements of Klippa. I'm not going to go into that part of Klippa tonight. But what I want to say is that what God wants us, since we are com- composite of two distinct souls, we have a godly soul and we have an animal soul. What God put within us is both the ability of good and evil. Now, the, the animal soul is not evil. It's just impulsive. It's just selfish. 
So the opposite of selfish is selfless. So the goal is for us through humility and through selflessness to be able to rise above our instinct. To rise above the everyday, to rise above this world. And we have the ability to do that. God gave us the ability to choose to rise above the everyday. And we're constantly going to be faced with these challenges because that's the point of being in this world. The point of being in this world is to be constantly faced with these challenges. That's the entire point of it. Now, everything that's in this world has its source in the higher realms. What would be the source? What would be the source of evil in the higher realms? How can evil descend into this world from a good God? For that, we have to understand this Kabbalistic idea called Tzimtzum. What is Tzimtzum? Tzimtzum literally is like a contraction. So there's a Kav. Let's say God, there, there's a, I, I've done this before, but there's these, the worlds kind of go in this, I wish I had a whiteboard here. Do I have a whiteboard here? I think I do have a whiteboard here. You do. I, uh, let's see if I can pull up a whiteboard. Give me a second. I see you go Share screen, basic whiteboard. This is great. Okay. Let's see how good I can draw on this thing. So, oh no, I didn't want that. I want, is there a freestanding? My first time using this, so give me a second. Anyone know how to use this thing? Yeah. Okay, Uh, that's not going to do. Okay, let's try it again. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to. You could just press clear all over. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I'm trying to. Okay, that's going to be the best you're going to get from me. So the way the world, the way the worlds are. So let's say this is Atzilut, and then there's Yitzira, and there's Bria, and we're the lowest. But they're like a, um, a. what is the word? It's like a screw. Like a, it kind of goes, they kind of interact with each other. A spiral. Spiral. Thank you, Mark. A spiral. And then there's a cob. And the cob kind of goes right through them like that. Okay, so we have, so we have these worlds. And the cob is beamed right through the worlds. But as it goes through each of the worlds it becomes lighter and lighter, which means it's, I don't, I don't know if um, contraction is the right world. It, it, it's just kind of like, it's like making a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy where the, the end, the light, the, the light is just, it's, it's more contained. Like looking at the sun's shadow through a stained glass window. Is the sun green? I mean, if you look at a stained glass window inside the building, you'll see a green sun. It's not really green. If you go outside, you're going to see the regular sun. But 
To us, it looks green. So in order for an unlimited God to create a limited world, God had to contain his unlimitedness so that we would not be zapped into oblivion. And that is done through Tzimtzum. But God is still here, though hidden. So the worlds of Atsilut, of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya, those are the four worlds. And we live in the lower. There's two levels of Asiya. We live in the lower level of Asiya, Asiya Gashmi. So the, the emanation of Atsilut, of the highest level, was preceded by a stage that was called Tohu, which was a world of chaos. In the world of Tohu, that's where Klippa comes from. Klippa comes from the world of chaos. Why do you have to know all that? Because, according to the Arizal, before the world was created, there was something called Shvirat HaKelim. There was the shattering of the vessels. That Before the world was created, God created other worlds and destroyed them. Now, obviously, God had some utility in creating these other worlds. There was some good reason also to destroy them. But the Arizal explains that these were not physical worlds. These were spiritual realms. The first world that was created was called the world of chaos. It's actually taken from a verse in Genesis that it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was tohu vavohu. It was chaos. It was empty. And after the tzimtzum, after this contraction and the emergence of the sefirot were originally arrayed in the world of chaos and they existed individually and there was no interrelationship. Could you imagine kindness being pure kindness without any relation to severity? Chesed being pure chesed without any relation to Geburah? No opposites. They all lived on their own. There was no interconnectedness. We need that. We need the interconnectedness. We need a world of opposites. That's what free choice was. So in this original world of chaos, the reason why it was chaos is because nothing was interconnected. Now, the light which entered the feeble vessels of the world of chaos was highly concentrated and it was intense. We call it orot mirubim. And they flooded the vessels. The result of the flooding was the shattering of the vessels. It can be like the shattering of millions of volts of electricity in a 60-watt light bulb. There was a great advantage in the world of chaos because it was brilliant and it was filled with intense light, obviously, because it wasn't in sync. So there was this intense darkness, but there was also this intense light. And its great disadvantage was that each of the sefirot were egotistic and they wanted all the light for themselves. And they were unable to share. They were unable to coexist with the others. And the root of ego, of selfishness, comes from there. Such a world had to be destroyed. Selfishness and ego have to be destroyed. Ego stands for edging God out. And ego has to be destroyed. 
Because in order for us to be able to live in this world, we need to have chesed and we need to have gevura. And there needs to be chesed and gevura and gevura and chesed. You don't know what I'm talking about if you don't know what gevura and chesed are. Which means there needs to be loving kindness and there needs to be loving kindness can go forever. So there needs to be a no. The moment you say no once, all your yeses were real. If you can't say no, you can't say yes. If you're a yes man because you can't say no, you're not really a yes man. Kindness has no end. So it's not kindness. In order for kindness to exist, it needs to have another side. The other side of it is gavura, is severity. It's saying no. Now, this interrelationship coupled with broad vessels and less intense little lights created a world that could exist here. And the state of correction is like a person where there's a harmonious and a symbiotic relationship between the limbs. Could you imagine each of the limbs having their own mind? The mind not being able to control the finger. I don't know. The finger's just kind of going off on its own. I don't know what's happening. I Imagine if there was no in sync, if the body was not in sync. That was what the world of chaos was like. So the vessels in the world of chaos shattered. And 288 sparks fell from their level and became embedded in the world of Asiya, in this world. As they fell downwards, they broke further and further and further into small particles. And as they continued to fall, they became more numerous and coarser due to their egotistic origin. They could not share. So they they just became more numerous and more coarse. The more refined sparks were assimilated into Atsilut and others into Bria and Yetzirah as they fell into the different worlds. And the coarsest sparks, they fell into Asiya, into our world, and they created Klippa. You should know that the shattering of the vessels was not an accidental flaw. On the contrary, it was a process, and the process allowed for the creation of evil. And evil allows us to have free choice. And through free choice, we can make a zero patachtonim. So the entire purpose of these fallen sparks were to create this world through which we can make a place for God through our free choice. So when we transform Klippat Noga that we spoke about last week, when we transform elements that can be either holy or not holy, we are able to release those lights, those selfish lights, those egotistical lights that fell. In every material item, there are sparks of holiness. Every physical thing has a spark of holiness. And those sparks of holiness are released when the item is used for the right reason. And it could be that this particular inanimate object has been waiting for thousands of years to be elevated. This is called birur nitsutsot, the refining of the sparks. 
A great example of the refining of the sparks is eating food. Because the body and soul are both held together by food. So if we eat the right food, of which Kabbalah refers to a kosher diet, a kosher diet is not a healthy diet, but rather a spiritual diet. So if we eat a kosher diet, then we're able to refine those sparks. Questions, comments? Hey, I had I had one for you, uh, Rabbi Bernath. Sure. So I was I was looking at the ten sefirot, mm-hmm. and I was trying to draw a connection with each of the ten commandments. Okay. Not necessary. They're not. Even though ten is nice, it's nice that it's cute that it's ten, but they're not connected. No, there isn't like one, one ball for each commandment. No, no, no. They're emotional. The commandments are 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 they're they're specific. Yeah, I I I don't think we need to trivialize the sefirot. I mean, we could talk about them a different time, but I don't think we have to trivialize them. But it's a good thought. What else? Uh, Rabbi, in the last class, when you talked about two different types, was it of being unkosher? I don't have my notes in front of me. Things that can be changed. Yes, and, Noga, and then the three evil clipouts. Okay, and so how does that fit in here with, with uh, you know, as beings on this planet, as bodies with soul, trying to do this work? How, how does that... So there's going to be there's going to be some because these fallen sparks are so selfish. There's going to be some sparks that cannot be elevated. They're too selfish. They're black holes. There's no way to elevate them, and it's our responsibility to discern between those things that can be elevated and those things that can't be elevated. For example, for example, if we, let's go back to kosher because we're talking about body and the soul, the pig. There's no way you, 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 you can put lipstick on a pig, but you can't elevate it. It's not kosher. And why is, I'll tell you why the pig is the quintessential non-kosher animal. Because the two signs of a kosher animal are chewing its cud and having split hooves. Well, the pig has split hooves. Not only that, but it rolls on its back and it shows the world its split hooves. And it says, look, look, I'm kosher, I'm kosher. On the outside, it's the exact, it's the epitome of the external will. Unless you looked inside the pig, you wouldn't know that it wasn't kosher. So how does that help us in making choices? Because when we get to our biases, right, that I think you're going to come in, in, in the next class, in making choices, how do we know when things are intrinsically not bad or we're just rational, you know, are, are bad and we, we should spend our effort somewhere else as opposed to we're making a story not to go there? You, gotta, you have to study what, what, what are the three evil default and what are the noga. I mean, I mean, God, it's very specific what is allowed and what's not allowed. 
No, but I'm talking on a psychological. I'm bringing it back to I'm the class. You the same thing. The same thing on a psychological level. Okay. So the basic answer, 30 seconds or less, is if it doesn't lead us towards our purpose, it's not allowed. This world is not about pleasure. It's about purpose. I understand people need to have pleasure in this world, and I understand we're human beings. There's elements to it. But we have to know that there's certain parts of our lives that cannot be transformed. And our soul is here for a very specific purpose. And no soul that's ever been in the world before it, and no soul that will ever be in the world after it, and no soul that's here during its lifetime is here for the same purpose. So if we're not pursuing purpose, then what are we doing? Fred said last week that he believes that, that, that Viktor Frankl, after the, after the Holocaust, he just got, he was annoyed with people that weren't pursuing purpose. And I understand that. I could, I, could, I could see where someone who is studying this and invested in this, just like, don't you see? There's so much more to the world. Why are you getting sucked in by the six o'clock news? That's a vortex. You, you, you watch the six o'clock news, you think the world is terrible. The world is not a terrible place. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. It's God's garden. And our job is to tend the garden. Our job is to elevate it. That's our job. We are the garden tenders. Yeah, sometimes there's weeds. So you pull the weed out. Can you make the weed into a fruit tree? You can never make the weed into a fruit tree. You got to destroy the weed. So some things have to be destroyed. And, but some things can be turned and beautified. And that, I would say, is a mix of knowledge and experience on a psychological level, to know how to properly tend to God's garden and to know what can become beautiful and what needs to be destroyed. We learned one thing. We know ego has to be destroyed. We know selfishness has to be destroyed. And as we go on, we, we start learning and we start realizing there's so many other elements to our lives, things that we don't see. I was reading uh, Helen Keller. I don't know why I just felt like this week I needed to read some Helen Keller. And she, she, she writes there that um, she had asked a friend of hers who had just come back from a long walk. What did you, um, how, how was it? Oh, no, um, what did you see? And she said, nothing. And she comes to the conclusion after this story she shares about her friends seeing nothing on her walk, that she learns that the seeing see very little. I think one of the great things that we can do today as a result of the state that the world is in, 
Start asking why. It's not our place. That's not going to get us anywhere good. Why is this happening? I don't know. Why the loss of thousands, hundreds of thousands of innocent lives? I don't know. What I do know is that it's giving us an ability to stop. The world was going so fast, and now we have the ability to stop. We have the ability to, to, to walk and to take the time to appreciate every little thing that we have. We never appreciated being around people. Now we're craving social interaction. I never craved social interaction as I do now. In my entire life, I've never craved social interaction. Now I'm craving such a basic human element. That's appreciating the garden. How about the guy in the hole? That's appreciating the garden. And that is the first thing we have to do. We have to take a stop and look around and smell the, smell the roses. We have to appreciate the garden. And then we can start asking ourselves, how do we make the garden better? What do we need? How do we fill those patches of grass over there that didn't grow? How do we get rid of those weeds? But if we can't appreciate, if we don't come from the godly perspective, if we come from the human perspective, ah, this world is a, just a mess, it's chaos then there's nothing to, to appreciate. But if we start from the top down that Kabbalah wants us to do, then we can start appreciating the garden. So we start by just appreciating that this world is God's garden. It's amazing. We, we just moved and in our backyard, there's a cherry tree. I've never lived with a fruit tree. So in the beginning of the summer, I saw this tree. I'm like, how are fruits going to come from this tree? And then it bloomed into these beautiful flowers and the flowers were gone. And then the cherries, and then they saw the green cherries and then they got a little more yellowed and orange and red until they got really red. Then they were tiny. They're tiny, they got bigger. And we were watching every day with the kids. We were watching every day this transformation of this tree with the leaves, with the flowers, with the fruits, the transformation of the fruits and appreciating every single level of that until we finally were able to pick the cherries and make some jam because they weren't sweet cherries. They were sour cherries. But if life gives you sour cherries, you make jam. That is the first thing we have to do is just appreciate. So number one, we have to know that evil does not exist. It's a choice. It's a choice to see this world through the lens of evil or to see this world through the lens of goodness. That's a choice that we make every single day. Number two, once we see that the world, that evil doesn't exist, we have to look at the world from the top down instead of from the bottom up. And once we look at the world through the top down, then we're going to start seeing all the elements of this world that are beautiful, maybe elements that we never saw before. And then just with that alone, we start eliminating Klippa. 
And then we see how to refine those things that can be refined. We see how to pull those weeds that have to be pulled. And eventually, slowly, 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 we take a, a jungle and we turn it into a garden. And that's our job. Cheryl, I hope this was deep dive enough for you, if it answered your, your clip of question. Sure it did. Thank you. Thank you so much. What else? What are your thoughts? A lot to assimilate. A lot to think about. What's your What's your nugget, Robin? What are you taking? What's What's your little nugget that, that that you picked up tonight? Well, and in a way, it connects with one of the earlier lectures, which is the question of choice. That it's a It's a choice to look at the world as good or evil. To To focus on the positive aspects. The the good aspects or the negative aspects. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue I have because I often am tempted to be too focused on the negative. A lot of us are conditioned that way from childhood. Mm -hmm. And through experience also, you know, life throws us some curveballs. So experience forces us to look at the world through a negative lens. But we don't have to. And even if we've done it for so long, we can just not do it. And then we don't do it anymore. Can I ask a peculiar question, maybe? Sure. How do we not overfocus on the resurgence of anti Semitism everywhere and the worry that the economic and social chaos that are going to result from this COVID, in the past, we've learned that that generates a very dangerous environment. Now, you can say that this has nothing to do with what you're talking about. <laughs> so... <laughs> it does have a lot to do with what I'm talking about, and I'll tell you why. Because it's once again the decision to focus on the negative versus the positive, and also to focus on the past versus the present and the future. The past is what we learn from. It's It's not what we live by. We have to learn from the past. We have to be smarter than they were before. And we are smarter today. We have a beautiful state of Israel that... One of the things that I do whenever I go to Israel, many times I've been there, is the first thing I do at the border is I say, can I make Aliyah? And of course, yes. And I just want to hear the yes. Because if I know if I have to ever go anywhere, I know where I'm going. We, we have to be students of the past, but we can't live in the past. The past is right behind us, not in our foreheads. We can't govern our lives based on our past. Yeah, is there a resurgence of anti-Semitism? Is it more than before? I don't know if it's more than before. Is it more? Is it communicated that way? It is communicated that way. 
Who knows if it's more or less? There's always going to be evil. There's always going to be haters. Haters going to hate. But is it our place to focus on that? Is that, you know, it's much easier to unite people with a common enemy than a common cause. So let's fill the world with goodness. Let's fill the world with light. It's easy to, to, to get the emotions flowing when it comes to anti I can tell you, I can sit here and tell you, I, was, uh, I, I happen to be, I haven't gone out very much, as many of you know, but I, I've been out, I've been going out the past few days and I went to the store for the first time in two months. And it happened to be, there was a guy standing behind me in the aisle. I don't even want to tell you this story because it's, it's, it doesn't even matter the story, but okay, I'll tell it to you, but you're going to see why it doesn't matter. And he's like, uh, you know, you people, you brought COVID to Montreal. He says this loud, right behind me in the store. Now, what do you respond to that? What do you say when someone says that to you straight up? You make the invisible visible. What do you say? Um, you, you, you know, you let them know that... Um, I acknowledge what you're saying, but um, COVID is out here to get everyone. No, I'm just saying, I'm just, you just, what do you say that maybe you don't say anything? I don't know. I looked at him and I said, you're having a rough day, aren't you? He's like, yeah, da, 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 and goes on this whole thing. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with you people. He was just finding a way to get rid of his frustration. We have a choice. I can't choose what he said, but I can choose how I respond to what he said. Sometimes it's real evil, and that evil has to be destroyed. There are Hitlers out there. There are, and that evil has to be destroyed. But most of the time, it's Kripat Noga. It can go either way. And it's our decision, our choice, how we choose to respond to it. I ended up making a friend as a result of it and, and probably gave him a good, uh, good, good uh, view of, uh, of the Jewish people as a result of it. He didn't have any inherent biases or hatred. He was just, I don't even know why he said it. So what did you say again? Please, uh, how was your day? No, I said, you're probably having a rough day. That's it. You don't know what's behind the person who's saying whatever they're saying. We can't look at the symptom. We got to look at the person. We got to look at the whole person. We, if we focus on every single symptom, we wouldn't get anywhere. It's a hard choice because we're constantly, constantly bombarded with anti-Semitism. I don't even know what anti-Semitism it is. I'm not Semitic. My father's not Semitic. Do I look Semitic to you? I look purely European. So I don't know why they call it anti-Semitism. I think they should call it anti-Jewish. I often get comments. I am Jewish. I get comments against Judaism. I think it's, 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 
it's insane that they keep on calling it anti-Semitism because I'm not Semitic. I don't know anything about Semitism. But it, uh, it raises funds for people some, for some reason because it, it gets to the heartstrings. So maybe that's, I don't even know. I'm just, I'm just coming to, I'm just drawing conclusions here. The point is that we really do have a choice with how we're going to respond to the things that we respond to. We really do. And it happens every day. And, and you, when you're faced with the crisis, that's not when you start figuring out how to respond to things. You got to start figuring it out now. The crisis will happen. And at that point, you got to be ready. First responders don't start learning to be first responders in the middle of a crisis. What else do you have to say? It's very quiet tonight. Interesting. You're talking about the idea when you were breaking down the idea between like religion and like um, therapy, you know, psychology. Um, and how like, you know, I apologize to Freud and Jung. Exactly. Terrible. What and did I do? Ego, right? Destroying the ego. You know, is there a way to kind of like break down the ego? Like, is there, because I'm, you know, sometimes I think there's like a good part, a good ego and a bad ego, you know? Sometimes maybe, maybe I even give them names sometimes. I think we need to, we need to make it, we need to, the id and the super, it doesn't work. This doesn't work. We need something different. We need selfish and selfless. If it's selfish, be careful. Sometimes you have to be, right? What did Hillel say? If, I, if, I'm, if, if, you know, if I'm not for myself, who will be? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? So you need a, a certain level of selfishness, but not only selfish. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, like figuring out like, you know, or what, what, what's, you know, what works for you and then how to, how, to be, how to provide and be there for others as well. Just kind of finding that balance, exactly. Maybe I will uh, do a, a, a course on that, on, on, on the, the Kabbalah of the ego. Because there's so much to talk about. We can go on and on and on on that. Because when I think of ego, I think of pain. You know, the bigger the ego, the more the pain is underneath that. Because how is the ego created? You know, is it a protect? Does it protect? Is it a bodyguard? What With is fallen it? sparks, right? It's created from fallen sparks. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it from the Kabbalistic term. It's it's a bunch of little black holes in our lives. That's how it's created. I didn't get this. I need this. I want this. The capital I. The only letter in the English language that's always capitalized is the I. And if you want to make lowercase i's and you're on Microsoft Word or Google Docs or your email, what happens when you press spacebar? Autocorrect. Auto-capitalize. The whole world is saying, oh, you want to be humble? We will show you. Why is the only letter in the English language that's always capitalized? Step aside for a second. Take yourself out of it. It's not about what you want. I do a lot of matchmaking. And often when people come to me with their long list of what they want, 
I ask them a simple question. Who are you and what do you have to give to a relationship? Being in this world, relationship is not about what I need. What can you do for me? It's about what can I give? Who am I and what do I have to give? Yeah, you make a whole list of everything you want, but are you the complement of that person? Can you give in return to that person? Can you be kind in return? Can you be loving in return? Do you have that space or are you a black hole for that person? I know I'm getting uh, existential here. I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, if our society can teach us that a, a bit more, that would be great. I think we need to learn that a lot more. Not a bit more, a lot more. Front and center. Yeah. Now that's a class, right? Absolutely. Very necessary. But the thing is, it's like, it has to be done by action, right? It can't just be intellectual. Well, you have to first have a focus, a goal. Right. The goal is I want to be selfless. How do you be selfless? So if you are of one extreme and you want to get to the middle, you go to the opposite extreme, says Maimonides. I didn't make that up. So if you're a selfish person, start doing selfless things. Just go out and volunteer and, and, and give away your time for free and do things for others without any desire or need for anything in return. I think it's interesting when, it, you, know, when you look at this, when you talk about meaning, right? And you kind of, you look at the two things and like the meaning is, or the, the focus on the meaning, it's like, that's about you. Right. It's about creating your meaning, what works for you, but ultimately to give back and to be of service. But it could be that that's all all that light is kind of stuck within you. Yeah, I think I think that's important to ultimately get to where you want to go and what you're talking about. We live in the world. The, the world that we live in, according to Kabbalah, is Asiya. You know what Asiya means? Action. We live in the world of action. Are you a human doing or a human being? There you go. Like that. You can use it. <laughs> a human being or a human doing. We're, that's the world that we live in. We live in a world that we're supposed to do. That's what I learned from COVID, how to be. That was hard. Yeah, it was hard for me too. How to be. I like to do. I don't like to be. I had a lot of beings staring up at the ceiling. I counted the ceiling tiles in the hospital. I knew I, I not only counted the ceiling tiles, I, had, I, I got to the point where I was counting the dots on the ceiling tiles. I knew how many dots were in each ceiling tile. That's how difficult it was for me to be. I, I hear that. 
what is it? The resistance. Yeah. Look to look within. So maybe the next class should be about how to disconnect from doing and actually be. I don't know. You're going to have to get someone else to do that because that's hard for me. <laughs> I, would well, give, I would only give a class that I, could, that I could live myself. I would never say something that I wasn't doing myself. And I'm a doer. I'm not a beer. Maybe, maybe a couple, a couple more years. I've tried. I've tried. I, I've, I've, I've studied mindfulness. I, I, I try to meditate. I try to, to do things to be. It's very difficult for me personally. So definitely, I, I would love to take a class like that. To give a class, I don't think I could. But there's a way. Like there's a way. It's it's interesting. It's like you're talking about like doing more or doing less, right? Or doing, but also like being and doing at the same time, right? Like in a way, you're doing, but you're also being. Yeah. So if you, want to, if you want to take that like to another exponential focus here, it's like you really have to be on top of a mountain and, and you know, to to just be, or can you just be right now? I hope, I hope you don't have to be on the top of a mountain because that's not being, that's, that's separating. I don't want to separate. I want to be in this world, but above it. So that's being, exactly. I want to be in the, in the, in the nitty gritty. Maybe that's what being is. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. That being is being in this world and being able to rise above this world at the same time, which means having the, the right response in crisis. That could also be being. Well, maybe it's, it's you know, for you, Rabbi, I just imagine, you, you know, for you just to sit, sit still. So for you doing is moving that body, you know, getting a book, talking to somebody, you know, that kind of, but I think there's another way of, of, of looking at it, that the, a difference between maybe doing and being is, is from moving out of your head and into your heart. And when you move into your heart, you can be doing a lot. Yeah. yeah I think Do you understand? It's, it's not, and you're not separating. creating a synthesis between the heart and the mind? Well, that's, well, that's like, what we're in the middle. That's that's what what heart math does, but it's 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 about choosing. You know, it's it's going into that space, and it's almost like the the dark and the light in there, when in your heart, where where it's the place where you have all of your emotions and your memories and your thing. Usually, that's what I consider to be the place of you know, where the, where the light isn't. And, and it's learning to be able to go in there. And when you can do it for yourself, you can do it for others. That, that idea of, you talked about appreciation and I wrote under it, gratitude. When you start from that place and you take it, the experience that you have in your heart of that, it radiates out and you send it out and you give it out to other people without losing for yourself and that helps you balance any of those negative things like even grief i mean we all have to grieve right, right. but we can, i can take a room full of people who came for a, a grief therapy group and have them be laughing in 10 minutes not because i'm telling jokes because they're i have them go into their hearts and share the funniest experience with the person that they've had that they've just lost and the tears turn into just happiness. I can, br you can bring happiness 
into a room of grieving people in five minutes. You know, you go to, uh, to you know, where people are sit shiva and stuff. Is everybody crying? No, there's there's laughing. If I if if you tell me a story about someone who who passed that I, that I love that I didn't know, I may start to laugh because it's the funniest thing I ever heard of. Or boy, that's a typical thing that I loved about that person. And immediately you bring that 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 feeling of of love and joy. And it's learning how to do that. And I agree, I think it's with Sean. We don't learn how to do it. And it's it's not difficult. At this point, it's hard because we, we're, we're however old we are and we weren't taught to do it that way. And you said, Rabbi, to, to um, you know, I call it ships are going to happen. You know, bad things are going to happen. And it's how you respond to it. And nobody really taught us that. They taught us how to add and multiply and divide, but they didn't ever teach us how to do that. Right. I think, um, yeah, you know, it would be great to have a class like this in school for children, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like you have math class, you have algebra, you have history, you have art, but it's like, where is this one? You know, where's this one? How to be, how to become. So I'm hoping sometime in life, I can uh, be an advocate of pushing that through the system, you know, with emotional intelligence as well. <laughs> Add that to the list. Do you work with kids now? In, in uh, do? I don't. I don't. I work with myself. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's, it's definitely an aspiration um, for sure. In fact, you know, looking to have kids right now. So that's a start. Um, yeah. And I think so going back to this idea of human being versus doing, it's like I think the being is so interesting because it's like finding our meaning our purpose so we can become we can be and then it's like the chicken or the egg it's like doing 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 and then being or being and then doing right being i think being and then doing because once you can be uh you know figure out your purpose and meaning and become more of who you are you know become true to yourself and then start to do from a place like that i think that's a higher elevated state to be doing so that was the first thing um and then like a real life example like uh, before this, I was on the phone with my dad, you know, and he's in the hospital, not doing too well. And it's like, it's very hard for me to come from a place of compassion, you know, a place of kindness. And it's like, but I have to, I have to, I have to get myself to do that. So it just shows how, you know, if I really want to, I can change my perspective to come from a place of love, um, no matter how difficult. And I think sometimes the circumstance uh, gets me into that mindset. So that, that's, there's something to say there because it's like, it's not, it's not always easy to do that. Wow. I want to keep this going all night, but I think uh, we should uh, slowly come to a close. Would, I want to hear some nuggets. What are you, what are you taking out tonight? Cheryl, what are you taking out tonight? On uh Unmute yourself. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, what am I taking out? You have pulled together for me all of the previous nuggets that you have given me in the past about the the um, safer rope, how they started, how you know the the different work. I never really understood exactly about the different worlds and how that came through. You really enlightened me in this idea of 
of this concept here that I guess, according to the Kabbalah, that, that there really isn't evil. And this has just, it's, it's an aha moment for me. And, and if that's the case, then it makes the direction I've been taking in, in my work and my life now, um, it gives it a, a whole new, deeper purpose. Just uh, there. So if, if uh, you know, even, even kindness is not kindness if it has no limits. That's right? right. So even that. So being careful to go all the way the other way too, right? Of, 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 of unrestricted. Uh, yeah. So I have to re rejig a lot of things there on the safer road. Again, I have to revisit them. And I thank you so, so, so much because you didn't really mention um, much till, till the end about, about the COVID, you know, about the virus. And of course you're affected too, but talk about a world in chaos now. Mm-hmm. Boy, we're all experiencing that in a way that we probably never did four months ago. No matter, it, it's the whole world in chaos. Whatever was happening before, it was my chaos. You know, a loss of a sister, an illness, uh, you know, uh, like that. But now it's the whole world is in chaos. Nobody really knows exactly what's happening. And so you see this struggle for good, well, you know, in, in this, you think it's, it's just because people want contact, that there are more protests, people are getting out there, they're, you know, the, the, the positive and the negative are taking and filling their spaces and people are, they're, they're loosened up the, the, the sort of the restrictions and, and, and stuff and it's out of control. And, and everybody's right. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, there's a seed of right in everybody and what, what somewhere, and we can't see it because it's, it's all chaos. The world of chaos. So thank you for this. This helped me <laughs> make some sense of this. Make some sense of the chaos. <laughs> what about you, Robin? What are you taking out tonight? Well, I think I already had a chance to talk, so maybe there's somebody else. Okay, sure. Jason, what are you taking out of tonight? Uh, well, for tonight, actually, uh, tonight kind of reinforces what what I've been reading the last the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, on on my own. So I appreciate uh, you know I appreciate uh, you know you reinforcing uh, you know that that learning. Um, the one question that I've been, I've been grappling with in the last few days was, you know, trying to make sense of the, what, what seems like a, a dichotomy between oneness, right? Because we're all, we're all connected and we're all part of something collectively special but then we're all we're all individuals. We all have mm. we all have specific jobs and missions to do. So so this led me to the question of 
you know, cause like, you know, I've been practicing a little bit more, uh, you know, but I'm trying to kind of, you know, and I like, you know, I found, I found my happy place, you know, with respect to, you know, to practice, you know, and then, and then just the last few days, you know, I don't know if it's whatever the, you know, you know, the, the devil coming from, you know, strengthening during Tisha Bayav or whatever it is, but I'm like, Oh, you know, should I be, should I be practicing more? And then, you know, kind of, you know, the, the fear started to take over. And then, you know, I almost, I almost forgot about the love, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to fear and love. So the question that I had yesterday, and it became super clear, like, oh, okay, this is the question I have. And then funny enough, I opened, you know, I opened one of my books and then the answer popped right in front of me, I think. Um, so is there one best way, right? Because I kind of, you know, it's like the, right? The extreme, you know, orthodox fenced, right? Got to do this, 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 this. Or is it, you know, is it a custom solution? Is it a custom suit? And the answer that I came to was that, well, there are certain unbreakable, you know, principles, um, you know, but there should also be flexibility to, to operate because we are individuals. Mm -hmm. um, am, am I am I cuckoo for thinking thinking that, or am I trying to make it convenient? Or, or I mean, you're opening up another another discussion, but you need to have your non-negotiables. You need to know absolutely. But you are an individual, and so there is a collective and an individuality, and you're opening up a whole other really interesting discussion, which um, I wish you would have mentioned in the beginning because I would have, I would have approached it tonight a little bit. Um, but yeah, the answer is that um, you're on, you're on the path. You're, you're, you're starting to figure it out, but um, you need to have the found, the foundation is your non-negotiables. And then the individuality comes as a result of that. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, you know. That's kind of the conclusion that I came to is that there's you know there there are firm boundaries that you need to establish, um, you know. But you know you can't feel like you're in a straitjacket either. That's right. Because because then you can't then you can't do your job, right? So so kind of the paradox, right? Right. You know you can't do your job, and then if you can't do your job, well, that's kind of right. That's unholy if you're not doing your job. And it's not just about the dogma. It can't be dogmatic. So that's kind of the, so that was kind of the struggle over the last few days, like just that, you know, finding that, um, you know, that, that balance. Yeah. So that's it. I was wondering if I could, can I steal you for five minutes after? Or, um, or tomorrow? I, you have some time? I will let you know. Okay. Uh, I will let you know. Maybe, maybe sometime this week. Okay, cool. Alessandra, Devora, any any nuggets? I must apologize. I was uh, my heading to work and didn't realize that today was Monday. Hence, I didn't attend the whole class. And therefore, I will not allow myself to have an opinion on something I haven't heard. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for asking. Okay. And my No problem. You'll have the recording. I will listen to it carefully and I will give you some feedback okay, post, post recording. 
Okay, good. And Devorah? Any thoughts? Oh, here. Thank you for this class. Generally appreciate learning from it. Good health and love to all. Okay. I think the, I think this is a good way to uh, to finish here. Um, Jason, I'll, I'll, you'll email me and I'll make some time for you this week. And Cheryl, I need to come visit you for the mezuzah this week as well. Now that I'm out and about, finally, and I, I, I need to take care of that. It's on my mind a lot. Okay, I think uh, a lot to think about. So it's a good time to end when we have a lot to think about. So yeah, have thanks. a good night, everybody. Thanks so much, Rabbi. Thank You're welcome. You. Thank you. Hi there. I just wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new website. It's theloverabbi.com, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com, theloverabbi.com. And it has um, lots of very interesting uh, things there, especially you can purchase um, a lot of the different classes and uh, lectures that I have given um, over the past few years. And you can also take a look at the current classes and lectures that I'm giving and the current events that I am doing on relationships. So I encourage you to go check it out. It's theloverabbi.com. Thanks so much. Hi there. I just wanted to let you know that I just launched a brand new website. It's theloverabbi.com, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com, theloverabbi.com. And it has um, lots of very interesting uh, things there, especially you can purchase um, a lot of the different classes and uh, lectures that I have given um, over the past few years. And you can also take a look at the current classes and lectures that I'm giving and the current events that I am doing on relationships. So I encourage you to go check it out. It's theloverabbi.com. Thanks so much.